Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2, and we're going to be reading verses 5 through 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excess sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated today. After a one-week hiatus last Sunday after General Assembly, and we looked at that text on children and fathers on the Lord's Day, Father's Day, we very happily come back to our lovely series in Second Corinthians. But before we do, as always, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you as we approach your throne again and listen to Jesus speak gospel words to his church. Fill us with a great appreciation for the blood of Christ, the atonement, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you have done this for us, for you have freed us from all those things that held us captive. And you've given us absolute liberty in Jesus. Now may our hearts be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to your honor and glory, preach and hear this sermon. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Forgiveness is at the very heart of Christianity, the gospel, the church life. It's an indispensable item of all true Christianity and the experience thereof. So central is the issue of forgiveness that... We possess no redemptive relationship with God. Everybody has a relationship with God, but a forgiven, clean, atoned for relationship with God is only had among those whose sins have been forgiven. And because God has been so kind to us, we are bound by his goodness and grace to us to forgive others or else to suffer the state of finding ourselves unforgiven, as per Jesus' own words from Matthew six fourteen and 15. So you can see that the issue of forgiveness is just huge, and it governs all human relationships. Forgiveness is had only in the shed blood of Christ, our Lord, whose vicarious, perfect, and fully sufficient atonement satisfies, pays for, and propitiates the wrath and judgment of God against us and all our sins. The very best people in the world are forgiving people. And the reason they are is because they're profoundly grateful for the fact that they themselves have been forgiven all their sins by God. And in light of that, and only righteousness, following the Messiah, they also willingly forgive others other fallen sinners who also would be entrapped in the snare of sin. Therefore, in light of this wonderful glory on this resurrection day, 
Let's make it our gospel goal to relish forgiveness of sins in Jesus' blood and to demonstrate this forgiveness to each other. Toward that end, we're going to be studying 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. The title of the sermon is The Beauty of Forgiveness. The doctrine, the beauty of forgiveness glorifies God in Christ. The fallen world of sinners is a torn, angry, bitter, and hopelessly in itself cursed place, aside from the grace of God in Christ Jesus. But that grace does exist. And the forgiven church alone, forgiven by the Redeemer, secured by his blood, is the only community on earth of hope, reconciliation, restoration, and salvation. Therefore, there's a lot on our plates. We have a great responsibility in the world. And in light of that, as the atoned for church, let us now enjoy the fact that the beauty of forgiveness glorifies God in Christ. First, regenerate churchmen alone have experienced God's forgiveness of sins. Now, this is a very important thing to say because it's really true that only those who are born again into a new and living hope in Jesus Christ are actually forgiven their sins. Formal Christians who are yet in their sins, in Adam, in their flesh, still under the first federal head, do not have their sins forgiven any more than any other person who stands outside of Jesus Christ. But every human being who believes by God's grace in Christ Jesus that his blood alone remits all sin and that that soul now loves God through Jesus Christ with all one's heart, as best as we can, on the firm foundation of the atoning death and the application thereof to their souls by the blessed Holy Spirit in regeneration. Those are the only people who know and experience the unspeakable joy and liberation of remission or forgiveness of sins. They're the ones that have it. Only regenerate Christians possess that. And that's an important thing for us to recognize and to appreciate. Now, why is this discussion even before us, and why is it relevant? Because the subject of forgiveness governs everything in divine and human affairs. God has no proper good relationship with anyone he hasn't forgiven, and all human beings must live in forgiveness, and that can only be in Jesus Christ if it's going to be real at all. And it governs everything. If we are not forgiven by God, then we are under his just condemnation. We are hell-bound. If we aren't forgiven, it's not a good state. The wrath of God hangs over us, according to Jesus' own words at the end of John chapter 3 at verse 36. It's a very serious thing. If we are forgiven, then we as the church are the only community that has the ability to spread that supernatural, gracious, wonderful, healing mercy over the whole earth. And that's a major part of our ministry, our preaching ministry, our evangelism, the way we live in the world, the way we deal with people. This is how crucial this life dynamic of forgiveness really is. Regenerate churchmen alone have experienced God's forgiveness of sins, 
And they alone extend this grace to others, especially in the church. Now, we just alluded to that fact, but it informs us of how special our privilege is. We get to, as forgiven sinners, extend that grace to others and forgive them. Again, all divine and human relationships are premised on the forgiveness or lack thereof of sins. If this issue is not addressed, nothing else can be done. That's true with our relationship with God and with each other. Evangelism, in its own nature and definition, is largely all about the forgiveness of sins. As we bring people the good news that they may be released from the bondage they're in by the blood of Christ and the resurrection from the dead that has released sinners from what had completely engulfed them and taken them captive. That's why we do evangelism. Hopefully that's what we'll be doing on the riverfront in September at Oktoberfest. Hopefully we'll all be very much engaged in that, even this week as we plan for it. So when we say, as we do in this subpoint, that forgiven people are the only ones who can overspread this grace on the earth, we really mean that. And one of the most precious, valuable, and heart-enhancing parts of the true church's worship services in our convocated gatherings on these Sundays, which is the most important thing that happens in the history of the world until the Judgment Day, the true church worshiping God on Sunday as a convocated body of believers, one of the most wonderful parts of that is the absolution, where the pastor proclaims in the place of the Messiah, speaking in his behalf, the forgiveness of sins. And that can be done objectively because... This is something God has communicated to us, that we have the right to believe it and to receive it. And those who are in Christ Jesus may, indeed, have that glorious freedom. The confession and pronouncement of forgiveness. This is why also in the sub-point we mentioned, especially in the church, because everything starts in the church, the body of Christ. Nothing good is going to start in the world, dears. There's not one good thing that ever starts in the world. Everything that's ever been good in the entire history of reality and creation started in heaven, came down through Christ, the incarnated God-man, who then implements it through his ministers, his pulpits, his churches, his people, to the world. It starts here. From here, we bring Jesus and his gospel of grace to sinners who desperately need it. Let's look at these amazing verses, 5 through 11, 2 Corinthians 2, and marvel at how the beauty of forgiveness flourishes, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H-E-S, flourishes in the Christ-loving church. That's really true. In the Christ-loving church, the beauty of forgiveness flourishes. It grows like a verdant garden. Things, beautiful plants grow up. There's life, there's vitality, there's fruitfulness. All of the glory of love, tenderness, mercy, kindness, compassion that the saints have for each other, having received it from God, we extend it to each other, and then through us to the world around us as well. And what's really glorious is to recognize, as I've tried to remind us over the last few weeks especially, how vile we really are in our unregeneracy how completely despicable, with no goodness at all, 
doing immense damage to the glory of God, committing treason against God. And yet, the wonderful grace of God coming to us, wicked, vile, hopelessly lost sinners in the gospel of Jesus is a mercy that is incredible. It makes us free in the Lord Jesus. And this reality and experience of the forgiveness of our sins then fosters gospel thriving of love and grace in Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the context of the true church, the church that loves God and embraces Christ. And that gospel grace proliferates in and through the body of Christ and then again through us to those around us. And therefore, with amazement now, we will observe how the beauty of forgiveness flourishes in the Christ-loving church. First, through repentance, kindness, and mercy, verses 5 to 7. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Now, in these three wonderful verses, we see the remarkable heart of the Apostle Paul. If you were here two weeks ago, you you heard my interpretation of what's going on in this context. Someone in the Corinthian parish had seriously offended the Apostle Paul after his visit to them, after the writing of the first letter. Paul is offended. He writes the painful letter informing the church of how to handle the problem, how to do proper church discipline and love. He waits, doesn't go back to to Corinth. He gets the good report from Titus then that the Corinthians received the painful letter and dealt well with it, and that there was a good result. The offending man had repented. And these are tender words. Look what Paul says here. He's even saying, look, the pain isn't so much to me, but more to you. And as for the one who did this deed, who has been forgiven, he suffered enough. You should turn and forgive him and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. This, dears, is the beauty of repentance. Something we don't hear of very often. But when it happens, it's a wonderful and glorious thing. It results in the Christ-loving church in restoration, reclamation, and even self-reflection. And the church itself turns out to be more healthy. Everyone is connected again. Everyone's in love with Christ and each other. The Spirit of God, of kindness and mercy, flows through the body of Christ. But more than that, it also engenders new and newfound resources of kindness, mercy, compassion, and ministry. Paul seems to be engendering in the Corinthian congregation, show this man a special kindness. He has repented. You know, if any human being was ever to be, quote, overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, I frankly cannot think of a better reason for that to happen than what happened here in this first century Corinthian parish. That being remorse for having seriously sinned against God, his Christ, his gospel, his church, his pastor, elder, in this case, apostle, 
that hindered the gospel ministry for a whole church, at least for a time. But he was overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. That's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. For those people who feel such sorrow in their hearts of hearts and receive from God, if indeed that remorse yields to faith in Jesus' atonement, they get from God the greatest and grandest levels of comfort and consolation imaginable in this world. And that flows through the body of Christ, the people of the church. So profound is this reassurance that the rest of the saints in Corinth got to participate in it. You all, help this man, comfort him, come alongside him, so he's not overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So how the beauty of forgiveness flourishes in the Christ-loving church? Well, through repentance, kindness, and mercy, and through scriptural and ecclesiastical instruction. Verses 8 and 9. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Now this verse 8 is very tender. Let me read it again. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Now think about that. It was Paul who was offended, although he does admit that maybe they hurt from it even more. And he's begging the Corinthians to reaffirm their love for that man that had offended him so much. Now it's interesting that verse 9 sets up verse 8. By this I mean the painful letter that Paul had to send, alluded to in verse 9, results in the soft and gentle words of verse 8. See, that's how church life and really all true relationships, be it family, business, whatever, have to operate. Had Paul not initially communicated with the Corinthian Christians, even in the painful way that he deemed necessary, perhaps the troubling issues would never have likely been addressed at all, or at least not in the way that would bring about such a glorious end and so much honor to the triune God. But dear saints, if the word of God written or preached ever seems a little harsh to you, or a little difficult, or a little trying, or it seems to stretch you, recognize, please, that its goal is tenderness, gentleness, love, grace, truth, compassion, and every other good thing. That's the word of God's goal, whether it's the preached word or the written word, bringing us to the only one in whom all that is centered, the word of God, Jesus Christ himself, the divine logos, the love of God, the wisdom of God, the expression of God, the exact representation of the Father, the imprint of God's very nature given to us, Jesus Christ himself. For it to be experienced, all of these graces must be funneled through him, Christ. So how the beauty of forgiveness flourishes in the Christ-loving church Repentance, kindness, and mercy, scriptural and ecclesiastical instruction, and finally, through fellowship, unity, and wisdom, verses 10 and 11. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now that's... It's very interesting that Paul ends this little section 
of verse 11 with that comment about Satan and his designs because the old snake warms his hands at the hearth of unforgiveness, bitterness, ignorance, and disunity. So what Paul is saying is this is more than just what meets the eye. If there is unforgiveness among the saints, then Satan is having a heyday. If the church is united, it doesn't matter how much sin we commit, how much we struggle with our flesh, as long as we remain committed and attached to, loyal and united to Jesus and each other, he can have no victory over us at all. What Paul is really doing here is he's sealing in an air and watertight way the communion of the saints that met there in the church in Corinth, in their worship, their fellowship, their doctrine, their discipline, in their ministry, in their outreach. And he did this by publicly declaring in the words of this letter of 2 Corinthians that there were no fissures in the foundation of the Corinthian church's worship and fellowship. You know, when you consider all the problems we studied in 1 Corinthians when we went through that series a while back, and some of them that were still here, right here Paul is declaring publicly that the Corinthian church, by the grace of God, is all together. It's wonderful. One of the great things about this, among others, is that real sin in real sinners who yet persevere in and through their relationship to their faith in and their love for God through Jesus Christ in the context of the faithful church, even though it's not perfect, cannot be outwitted or defeated or overcome by Satan or any other foe. Did you catch that? Real sinners, real sins, and yet who stay faithful, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, cannot be overcome. Are these people that met in Corinth, are they redeemed? Yes. Are they perfectly sanctified? No. And yet, despite that fact, the old devil cannot prevail over them or us so many hundreds of years later. And why? Because Jesus Christ is shepherding his church, leading us into these gentle, sweet paths of righteousness, forgiveness, grace, tenderness, mercy, compassion, ministry for each other. Let's do some application this morning and comprehend why the beauty of forgiveness is utterly irresistible. Anyone who has ever tasted of divine forgiveness has of necessity also tasted of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the bread of life. And anyone who has tasted of Jesus could never be satisfied with anything else. And what's intriguing is though it is true that God must regenerate us before we can see Christ's glory, it's also a fact that his beauty is beheld in the love God's people have for one another, And what greater expression of that love can there be than forgiveness of sins? Therefore, in this light, let us bask in why the beauty of forgiveness is utterly irresistible. Because souls liberated from sin are incredibly happy. The Luke 7, 37-39 text, referenced on your outline, is a fabulous example. 
and you ought to check it out. It's a supernatural experience of forgiveness and liberty that leads to so much love for Christ. Absolute. Pour out the heart to him. Give him everything. And that's what we see that formerly uh, unforgiven woman doing there, loving Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins in Christ's blood atonement liberates human souls and launches them into the highest degrees and experiences of joy and happiness imaginable or possible in this world. Did you know that? It's true. No wonder, dears, Satan does everything in his power to blind the eyes of unbelievers so that they will not see the glory of Christ by faith. Because if they ever did see the glory of Christ by faith, they would immediately cast off all their idols and sins, just like we did who are in Christ Jesus, even though we continue to struggle with sin every day. He seeks to blind them, because Jesus Christ is the exact representation and express image of the Father. When God gave us Christ, he gave us the perfect expression of who he is. Had God not become man in Jesus Christ, we would never have been able to know him, especially as sinners. It's his human nature that leads us into that glorious reality and that experience of knowing who God is. We know God through the person of Christ. And when by faith we see Jesus Christ in his glory then we know that our sins are forgiven. My entire role as your pastor is simply to help you both understand this truth and experience it all in Christ. That's what life is, just to see Jesus in his glory. And as you do, that's how you get transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's how sanctification works. Sanctification doesn't work anything else. Sanctification, growing in Christ-likeness, is simply seeing Christ by faith in his glory. And somebody might be saying, well, how do I do that? Ask God to show you Christ in his glory. You think God, the Father, is going to say no to that request? He's not going to do that. The saints of God get to see Christ in his glory by faith. And when we do, we know our sins are forgiven. You do know, dear saints, and I need to tell you this, that unless a person gets a glimpse of Christ in his glory by faith here on earth, if that doesn't happen, those sins aren't forgiven. There's a lot at stake here. This is not an option. This isn't just for super-Christians. This is the reality and experience of real Christian saints who have their sins forgiven. No one will go to heaven who has not seen Jesus Christ in his glory by faith in this world. No matter how many false gospels seek to convince people they're all right because they just said a prayer or something. We must see Jesus Christ in his glory by faith. And like I said, that's not so complicated. It's the application of the gospel. Ask God for it. Experience it. Lord's Day to Lord's Day and in the worship services and throughout your lives. Why the beauty of forgiveness is utterly irresistible? 
because souls liberated from sin are incredibly happy, and we radiate the overpowering love of Jesus. Now, I referenced on your outline John 13, 35, which says, quoting Jesus, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, the point of that verse is not only that love in the church is by far the very best evangelism tool available to us. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we're going to go to downtown Peoria in September and just let people watch us love each other, serve each other, enjoy each other, enjoy Christ together. It is a great and wonderful evangelism tool. But the point of this verse, John 13, 35, is not just that love in the church is the best evangelism that can be done in the sinful world, but also that the power of the evangelism is in the love the saints have for one another, and the highest expression of this love is forgiveness of sins in each other. After all, what is God's greatest demonstration of love for us in Christ? Is it not the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ's blood atonement? Indeed it is. For without this remission of sins, we remain under the righteous wrath and condemnation of God against us and our sins. But there's every time in this sermon I've mentioned beholding the glory of God in the face or person of Christ, I've always said that it must be by faith. And that's important. It may not be through images or pictures or music or any other human contrivance. It must be by faith. Because as Paul tells us in Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why the gospel being preached to you, as we're doing right now, is absolutely essential. So that you can see Christ in his glory by faith. All of those who are purchased for God by Jesus Christ will hear, believe, and see the Redeemer by faith. And I will say something else. All those who are purchased by God in Jesus Christ will not only see, hear, and believe the Redeemer by faith, but they will also forgive other sinners. Unforgiving people are under the wrath and condemnation of God. Jesus says it at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Check it out. The one thing he picks up on in that prayer is if we do not forgive others, we're not forgiven. That's how serious this is. This isn't an option. This isn't a take it or leave it. Life and death, heaven and hell, grace and damnation hang on the issues of forgiveness or lack thereof. Now we know that God calls his own people to himself. Another verse listed on your outline is John 6.44 which reads, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And that's exactly true. But this gospel is, a, is here for us, even now. That same gracious Messiah who forgives us our sins gives us the grace to forgive others. Beloved, the beauty of forgiveness is all wrapped up in Jesus and his gospel. As the regenerate and redeemed church, let us bless the triune God for the beauty of forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that Paul was so gracious in setting a great model and example in forgiving that man that 
it caused so much trouble to him and to the church and the gospel. And, and yet that man, by your blessed Holy Spirit, was forgiven and, and repented. We thank you that Paul, in his grace, urged the Corinthian Christians to love him and re-receive him into their fellowship. We thank you that you do that for us as the, the good shepherd. You don't let any of your true sheep stray away from your son Jesus or the pastor of his church. You bring them back. You don't let them stray. And we thank you that it's all based in forgiveness, the cleansing blood of Christ washing away all our sins. We bless you for this glorious truth, Lord, in Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.